Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Our broad topic, this is now the eighth session of the School of Ministry that we started on a, on a Friday evening, okay? And this represents almost the 17th literal session in the series. And on Friday, we started this particular topic of the Word of God in the house of God. Our broad theme is the primacy of God's Word, the priority of God's Word, the centrality of God's Word. God's Word is the absolute center of our lives. Um, If we come to church, and you call this church the house of God, the primary business of the house of God is the Word of God from the Scriptures. I won't go through most of the note because of what we covered on Friday. I will encourage you to get the CD and to listen to. It was almost two hours of teaching we did on this topic on Friday evening. But just long story short, I said, in, in just to succinctly summarize, I said the house of the Lord is the platform from which the law of God will go forth into the entire world. The house of the Lord is the platform from which The Word of God is dispensed or is emitted or is transferred. The business of the house then becomes the Word of God as its priority. The house is constituted by fathers and sons. What makes the house of God the house of God? The Greek word oikos and the Hebrew word bayith, both translated house, do not refer to physical structures, but always allude to the quality of relationships that exist in that house. Right? So what is a church? The church is the house of God. 1 Timothy 15 says it's the, the base and the pillar of truth. Everyone say truth. Right? There's a verse in Zechariah 3 which calls the mountain of the Lord's house the city of truth. This is the place of truth. This is a place of word. But listen carefully. The the prevailing construct of this house is word. The prevailing environment, if you would, the prevailing ethos, the prevailing um, mandate, its force, its substance, what characterizes the house has got to be truth and word. A church that is not focused upon the word for me is not a church at all. Because you're violating the very nature that should define you. It is truth and word. Everyone say word. Jesus said in John 17, Thy word is truth. Okay? So this bastion of truth, if you would, this this fortress of truth, for want of a better description. I'm using bastion, fortress. I'm using military terms to make the point. It's, it's, it's military strength, it's capacity to rule in the midst of a belligerent, antagonistic culture is its word content, is its word power. 
Now, when I say word content, word power, bastion of truth, all of these concepts does not only just simply imply the presence of word. I'm assuming that this word is present, this word is heard, this word is engaged, this word is obeyed. Right? Say obedience. So, if you've been tracking the, the first seven lessons we did, it's not just about the proclamation. This is not simply declarative. I'm not talking about only the karuksing, the, the, declarate, the preaching of the word. The house of God must become the word of God when the sons in that house become the word. So, when I say this, this fortress, this mountain of the Lord's house, must be the bastion of truth. I'm saying it's not, it mustn't be fixated on Bible-based teaching, which it has a very central place. But more than that, everyone in the house must become the embodiment of the word that they hear in the house. So you become the letter known and read of all men. You become the epistle of Christ, as Paul would say it. You actually become the mirror. As the word is the mirror... So you are the mirror of the word in your world. People look at you, they should see the image of Christ. And in beholding you, you afford them the opportunity for transformation. Beholding we are changed. You know all these concepts, right? Now everyone say obedience. So the mountain of the Lord's house, may you just put that, that um, what do you call that? Flip chart. Let's just read this. Just let me make the point before I read it, because I want to get to where we need to go. Listen carefully. We said that the church, church's main business is the declaration of the word of the Lord. And this church is comprised of fathers and sons. How does word come to you? Word comes through a father to two sons. The principle of fathers and sons, we, we won't have time to fully unpack this, but we did all of this on Friday, comprises or makes up the constitution of the house. A true house of God, as the word bayith and oikos suggest, alludes to the quality of relationships that exist in the house. The Father speaks to you the word of the Lord. Sons hear it and begin to imbibe it and embody it. You then, sons, who are word sons, remember the seed of the word in Matthew 13 becomes the son of the kingdom. The seed of the word. Repeat after me. The seed of the word becomes the son of the kingdom. Two parables in Matthew 13. The seed that fell on various soils, the seed was the word. But in the second parable, the seed Jesus described, he is the son of the kingdom. So you, the son, become the embodiment of the word in your, in your world. When that happens, you become the didactic of God. Tell your neighbor, I am the teaching. So go into the world and teach all nations. Yes, we will go as we're doing. But it does not so much allude to a physical going. Because this prophecy in Micah says nations are going to come to you. Hmm? It doesn't imply physical going, which we do at times, but the end time 
Evangelism. Please mark my words. And you will see why I'm so fixated on the development of this house. Everyone say this house. This house, let's read the scripture so we can make it clear. It will come to pass, Micah 4 verse 1, in the last days. And aren't we living in the last days? It will come to pass in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. The new marginal rendering says it like this. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the chief of the mountains. Right? So the house, it says, so it's the mountain of the Lord's house above every other mountain. Raised above the hills. And what will people do? People will stream to it. I prophesy to us, listen carefully. There's coming a day, and we're seeing the trappings of it. People are going to seek us out as a church. People are going to look for us as the house. When the house is properly constituted as the house, everyone say family. I painstakingly spend time explaining this. The church's composition is that of a family. Right? We are family. This family has a father and sons in its locality. A local church. Has a father and sons. The primary business of fathering, Lord. How do leaders lead? Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Obey them that have the rule over you. Right? And, and verse 17 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke to you the word. How do leaders lead? By feeding. Right? Please remember this. That verse is very important. Leadership is about speaking the word. No other thing defines spiritual leadership in this season. I'm quoting the verse to you. Remember those who led you, comma, who spoke to you what? The word of God. You are not leading if you're not feeding. Hmm? You can be busy with a whole lot of other things, but what is the primary function of church leadership? Is to feed you the, the word of the Lord. Let me ask you this. Let me be candid. I'm your spiritual father. For those of you that relate to me as spiritual sons, what is my primary business in your life? What is my primary focus? What activity defines our relationship as father and son? It's only one thing. The fact that I have the capacity to feed you God's word and to mature Christ in you. Every other thing is peripheral and inconsequential. It can add to the relationship if I remember your birthday and remember to wish you, but that is inconsequential if I forget, but so long as I'm feeding you the word. Right? Don't use wrong things to assess the relationship. The function of leadership, I'm just, I use the birthday example because Sika used it at the school. He said a guy asked him to father him. So he called the guy in. He said, okay, listen, I'll father you. I'm not coming to your house. I'm not going to phone you on your birthday. I'm not going to do several things, but I'll give you the word. I'll father you. And the guy was totally shocked. We will do those things because they help the relationship. But let me just say, your, the primary thing about fathering is to feed you the word of the 
Lord. No word, no leadership. No word, no fathering. Amen? No word, no fathering. So the mountain of the Lord's house is established as chief of all the mountains. And many nations, everyone say nations. Now listen carefully. It's, it's national streaming. It's nations streaming. And when I see this process played, out, played itself out here in our local context, I'm enriched by it, I'm excited by it, but equally it causes its cause for great concern. Because the measure of our influence nationally or globally will be contingent or dependent upon the strength of the house. The strength of the house is the strength of its family composition. The strength of the house is the strength of the father-son relationship. The father-son relationship is the degree to which the father feeds you the word and dispenses grace to you by the word. The active response of sons is to obey what they've heard and to become the word in their world. That's one thing, right? The family composition and the word engagement. Two things I want you to remember. Are we a family and to what degree are we actively imbibing, engaging the word of the Lord? That will be the strength of this house. I said to you, uh, in Psalm 110, it says, Rule, he will extend the what? The rod of his scepter from out of Zion, the house. And he says, rule in the midst of your enemies. We are a family. And the strength of the governmental function of the house, because a, a scepter implies rulership, a scepter implies kingship, a scepter implies dominion. The Bible says he will extend the rod of his scepter from out of Zion, this house. Rule thou in the midst of your enemies. And I explained to you this, this word, um, rod, shebet, is akin to the other Hebrew word for rod, which is mateh. Both words indicate not a tribe. Everyone say tribe. And tribe indicates family. The way God rules is by His family. Rulership is the family business. Right? And we rule by our composition as the family of God. Right? The church of God is the family of God. The church of God is also the army of God. But its military might is dependent upon its family constitution. It, it doesn't make sense. Who would want to take a family to war? You take an army to war, not so. Who wants to fight Chidaloma? Maybe a whole nation. But here, Abraham takes a household. Abraham takes 318 born in his house, and he fights a coalition of four kings. It's family that prevails. Right? When you function as a family. Now, I really want to encourage you. Are you the Lord's house? Come on, let me hear you. Are you the house of the Lord? Think of yourself from this time forth. I want everyone in this house to change our mentality. Even imagine if you have to, driving down here to Moor Road. Picture yourself ascending a mountain. You're going up. says, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord's house. And what is the primary activity here? Because church today 
has got so much illegal activity happening within its confines, and we say that's church. According to this prophecy, let's read it. It says, verse 2, Many nations will come and say what? Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. The reference to Jacob here is significant. I'll talk about that on Wednesday. That he might teach us his ways, and we might walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth what? Everyone say the law. So I put a big arrow here. From Zion will go forth the law. It says the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What gives the house elevation? What gives the, the, the mount of the Lord's house dominion? What makes it chief? What causes it to stream up, to defy gravity? And you stream up. Usually you stream down, but nations stream up to it. And the cry is what? Teach. Say, say it louder. Teach. I want to get this into your spirit. The cry is what? Teach us. Show us. You've got to get this, this revelation into our, our understanding. I'm prophesying to you as I teach. The cry of the nations in the coming months and years. The cry is, make disciples of all nations, teach. Everyone say teach. And I said, not largely by declaration, largely by you becoming the didactic. You becoming the word in your world. Hmm? So wherever you are in your business, in your workplace, do you not know that you are the instruction of the Lord? You are the ways of God to your world. People look at you, they must double click on you like the icon on a desktop. And what must open up? The ways of God. Everyone say the ways of God. Right? Even when they double click you the wrong way. The ways of God must, must open up. Okay? The ways of God must be put on display. Okay? The nature of young people in your school. You are the didactic of the Lord in your school. You are the, the medium through which you will teach others what God is like. One of the greatest commendations I ever got was from one of my principals. On my leaving, he didn't want me to leave, but I had to because of, of the path I was pursuing. And he said, Barnwell, you are the closest Christian that ever taught on my staff that convinced me that salvation is real. Convincing me to, to follow your way. I didn't teach, I didn't really preach much to him. He was my senior, he was my principal. But he said, I wish you were going to be here for longer, just to be with you. What he did realize is, yeah, is someone on my staff that walks as a son of God. So you are the ways of God to your world. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you. You are the ways of God's world. Wherever you are, put the nature of your father on, on display. So they will say, teach us your ways. In the Bible says, for the law of God, the Torah, Torah. Torah means precepts and statutes. The law of God, the word of the Lord will go forth and infect every other sphere or domain. Okay? So can you see the profundity of the house? Can you see the seriousness of the house? Can you see how, how important what we're doing is? Can you see how much more important we need to view the house? Hey? 
This relationship of fathers and sons in the house. Can you see how profound it is that we treat it with the priority that it de- that it deserves? Okay? I'm really trusting God that the, the, the platform of this house increases. That I have the sense prophetically. God wants to give us a greater ambit of influence, a greater sphere of influence. Okay? And that will necessitate moving to our new building. Okay? The for sale sign is going up this week here to, to push us so we can actively look for another place. I want to encourage you, actively look for another building. The, the God spoke to me very clearly. The platform of the house needs to increase so that the impact can be wider and further. Amen? Your reach could be wider and your reach could be, could be further. Are you excited about moving out of this place? I know some of you have grown attached to this building. <laughs> Sacrifice your Isaac. Okay? Really, I pray this study more than ever before as I prepared it last week. I literally prepared this at the airport. I had a 12-hour layover. Right? I found a place in the Simber. And the lady was very gracious to me. She reorganized things. I sat there. She said, you're going to be here? How long are you going to be? I said, I'm going to be here the whole day. I'm going to be here for about 12 hours. So I don't want to order stuff. I'll, I'll have breakfast first. I'm going to order lunch <laughs> before I go. Because <laughs> they're concerned about someone taking up their room. No, I'll be here. I need to order stuff the whole day. And you know me, when I study, I, I chow. <laughs> okay. And literally, the Lord, I was waiting upon the Lord for a focus for the next lesson. And the mountain of the Lord's house the Lord said it's going to be elevated above every other sphere. And I want, I want every son in this house to get the vision of the house. I prophesy to us, God's going to elevate our, our capacity to influence in every single way. Now let me get to where we really need to go. Um, last time we ended on page 8, if you want to go there, of your notes. If you want to follow with us. We looked at Psalm 23. And a statement that Thamo made at the school really captured my heart. He said this, you cannot rule in the midst of your enemies until you have learned to sit at the table that the Lord has prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. Now Psalm 23 is of my enemies, right? But Psalm 100, that's Psalm 23, right? Later, so in chronological sequence, it's Psalm 23 first. Before Psalm 110. Psalm 110 verse 2 says that um, we must rule in the midst of our enemies. But you can't start in Psalm 110 before you've assimilated Psalm 23. Psalm 23 says, first learn to sit and eat from the table that the Lord has prepared for you. right? And then you can rule in the midst of your enemies. I put that quote on Facebook, and somebody asked me, what meaneth this, brother? (laughs) So I commented again, and I responded with a brief. table depicts a place where you get nourishment or food. That for us is the word of the Lord. Do you know right now you're sitting at a table? Okay? Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome to my table. You're sitting at a table, and there's food prepared for you. That food is spiritual. Spiritual diet, meant to enrich you, meant to encourage you. 
Now, you can't rule in the midst of your enemies until you've learned to eat from the table that your spiritual father has prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. Now, what are your enemies? Biblically, your enemies are Satan, the world, and the flesh. Everyone say Satan, the world, and the flesh. Publicly, that is what our enemies allude to. You, Jesus overcame Satan. Jesus overcame the world. Jesus overcame the flesh. You and I are called to rule in the midst of these enemies, and we can also overcome them. But what makes you diet, what you eat from the table in the presence of your enemies, will cause you to rule in the midst of your enemies. Okay? So everyone say rule. I want to kind of say rule. So rule is the family business. It's the culture of the house of God. We have a scepter. There's going to be a streaming up of nations to us. And the cry is, teach us your ways. Teach us your, your ways. And I want to encourage you to be focused upon the word of the Lord. Now, in, on, at the bottom of page 8, got a heading there. In the house of your father, feed predominantly off the table of your father. Okay? A table has been prepared here. And I want to encourage us all, listen carefully. You must, you must the primary source of your spiritual nourishment must be the food that your father has prepared for you. You can have many other teachers, but you only have one father. What I'm not saying is now close your ears off to every other voice. I'm not saying that because I also listen to others. But primarily, I listen to my spiritual father. It's that voice that I'm connected to. It's that voice that transitions me. It's his voice I listen to more frequently than others. It's his conferences I go to more frequently than others. He calls a meeting, I prioritize it as critically important. His voice to me is not just um, an occasion to hear. His voice to me is an occasion to feed me, prepare me to rule in the midst of my enemies. Right? His voice empowers me to be successful. I'm looking forward to being with him now for that whole week. Not so much just for Nakuru, nations, the plan of God. For me, it's a powerful, my main agenda is be with the Father. Right? There's so much I learn just from watching, just from listening, just from seeing how we confront situations, how he delivers the word of the Lord. Guess what? I'm going for rulership training for five days. His word's going to teach me how to rule. I'll be far more the better ruler after the five days than before. Amen? I want to encourage you. Learn how to correctly appraise every time you sit under the sound of the voice that God has positioned over your life. It's going to encourage you. It's going to prepare you for, for rulership. In the previous, about two lessons ago, we learned this. Paul consistently instructed Timothy, teach no other doctrine, Timothy. Remember? Consistently. Follow my example, Timothy. The things that you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Commit the same things to faithful men that are able to teach others also. The sound of your father's voice must be the predominant prevailing voice in the landscape of your spirit. It must be the voice that's in your mentality. 
in your thinking. It's that voice that must condition you and configure you into the Son of God that's intended to be. So I want to encourage you, don't feed off multiple tables. Feed off a primary table, right? In this season, briyani in the spirit is illegal, right? You have one diet, one predominant diet, one predominant emphasis of the Word of God that feeds you the Word and configures you to rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, Ruth chapter 2 says the following. We're going to consider Ruth just briefly. As you know, Ruth came from Moab. Remember, she was a Moabitess. There are five references in the Bible, of, in the book of Ruth, with this phrase, Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. What does Moab mean? What father? Ruth the fatherless one. Five references. Five is the number of grace. Her reception of grace changed her from being an orphan being a, to being a son. Now Ruth 2 verse 1 to 3 says the following. Naomi had a, had a kinsman of her husband, Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, which was of the family of Elimelech. Ruth requests, and upon the instruction of Naomi, goes to glean in a field, the Bible says, in one in whose eyes I might find favor. And she happened to come. Everyone says she happened to come. Like she stumbled upon a particular plot of land, which perchance, so there's this idea of coincidence. Not so? She happened to come upon Boaz's field, and she starts to glean. Now listen carefully. She's a widow, but she's also a son. Ruth 4.15 says that Ruth is better than seven sons. Ruth is a depiction of spiritual sonship. That puts Naomi in the category of spiritual father and Ruth in the category of spiritual son. She requests of her father, let me go glean. So her gleaning is only upon the instruction of a father. And she happened to come in the field of Boaz. Now we know in Christ there is no happen to comes. In Christ there are no coincidences. In Christ everything is ordered. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. How many of you here think of how you landed up here? And for those of you that relate to me as your son, as sons, how a set of processes that caused that to be? Right? And some of you might say, we happen to land up here in Moro. We happen to come and to land in this field. Who feels like that you happen to come? <laughs> but the, 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 the happenstances, the coincidences of life, of the, the orchestration of the Lord. And I'm here to assure everyone, your placement here is by no coincidence. Hear this as the word of the Lord. Because some of you might be doubting. Your placement is by, yeah, by no, because there are no coincidences with the Lord, right? 
in this economy, random actions become strategic developments. You decided to come. You decided to visit. And you found a home. Random, thoughtless, sometimes mindless decisions on your part have turned out into a strategic development in your specific life. Amen? So, I will encourage everyone, I say this prophetically, welcome to the field. Welcome to the field in which you can glean and find grain, food for your table that's going to enrich you spiritually and cause you to rule in the midst of your enemies. Amen? So tell you, welcome to the field. Just welcome to the field. Welcome to the field. Now, gleaning, second paragraph on page 9. Let me just, don't read it, just rather listen to me. Gleaning was a legitimate activity in the Bible. And orphans, those three in particular. Foreigners were non-Israelites. If you were not an Israelite, you were outside of the registry of the Commonwealth of Israel. To be a non-Israelite, you were not part of uh, the patriarchal order of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So transgenerational fathering, patriarchal building was not your portion. You are, you are a foreigner. So you are an alien, divorced from all of this. Then the, there was the widow. The widow was husbandless. She was without cover, which also implies fatherlessness. Then there was the orphan without a natural father, without the protective mantle of fathering over him or her, without a father's provision and without a father's care. And you know the orphan is one that is in a, an, has got an identity crisis. Right? An orphan is one who does not know who their father is, and it's the father principle that configures identity in kids. So absent father, you, you don't know who you are. Okay? So these three categories, foreigner, widow, orphan. Amazingly, Ruth is all three. Ruth is a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. She's a, she's a foreigner. She's a widow. Her husband has also died. She's also an orphan in that she does not have a father. She comes from the land of what father? So, but she's an orphan in transition into sonship. Okay? Tell you now, but there's hope for everybody. There's hope for everybody. And I want to encourage us all. I sense very strongly in the meeting this morning. Ratify the, the issue of who your father is. Sort it out once and for all. Plug in and, and allow the spirit of the Lord to bring you to a place of dominion very, very swiftly. But listen carefully. It's amazing. God instituted this law in the book of Leviticus because that, those three categories of people were in want and need of provision, sustenance, and care. So God knew they were landless, not landowners. So God instructed every farmer, whenever you harvest your field, leave the corners of the field unharvested. Don't pick up all. And in fact, even while you are reaping, leave it there for the orphan, the widow, and the, the alien or the, the foreigner. So God had the system in which to take care. Here Ruth lands on Boaz's field. right? And the Bible says she starts to glean in the corners of the field. right? Boaz happened to come 
that day on the field. And she was sitting and inquired as to who she is. And a, a testimony went before by the men of how that she's been gleaning and how that she's taking care of her mother-in-law, Ruth, uh, Naomi, which is a spiritual father in the Lord. And then, listen carefully, Ruth 2 verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, do not go glean in another field. Further, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Okay? Stay here with my maids. Listen carefully. He instructs her, now that you are here and you're picking up, he says, don't go from this field. Don't go to another field. Stay here and continue gleaning. It's important not to glean from multiple fields. It's important not to mix your seed. It's important not to have multiple contrary influences or persuasions that you allow into the landscape of your spirit. Otherwise, you produce a Samaritan result. Samaritan Jews were mixed Jews, right? You produce mixture every time you mix doctrine. So keep the strain pure. Keep the strain pure. Feed off from predominantly from the field of your the field of your father. Look in Ruth chapter 2 verse 9 what he says to her. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink and drink from what the servants drink from what the servants draw. So he instructs her, don't go to another field. And I like this, what he says. Listen carefully. Let your eyes be on the field in which they reap and go after them. Everyone say, go after them. Ruth transitions from gleaning from the corners of the field to now gleaning in the center of the field. Right? She leaves the corner and she goes to the center. She leaves the corners and the instruction of Boaz is, you can now glean. Obviously, he had his own ulterior motives. Right? He had his eye on this girl. Right? All part of God's design. But there's a principle in play here. He says, you don't have to only glean the corners. You can glean directly after the reapers. Wherever they are, go behind them. Whatever they leave behind is yours. In fact, if you read the book of Ruth, he actually instructs the reapers to deliberately leave behind extra. Who'd like extra? But listen carefully. You've got to leave the corners and come to the center. What is leaving the corners? For me, there are many sons in this house still feeding off the dregs of what we release. You're feeding off the remnants and you're not feeding off the centrality of the doctrine. So what will be, for example, erratic attendance at meetings? There's some people with long absentees at meetings. Without a word, we don't know what's happening. Right? And so you pick up little cliches, phrases of truth that the house releases. But you're not getting it from the center. You're hearing it almost secondhand from the corner of the field. And it's not having the desired impact in your life. Amen? There's a move I declare in this house. Away from gleaning corners to now gleaning from the center of the field. I call every son in this house to now go after the reaper. 
to go stand right behind him and, and, and receive directly what he's, what, he, what he's given. Amen? Please receive this. It's for your good. It's for your good. You know what the Bible says? Look at verse on, on, on page 9. Let your eyes be on the field. Tell your neighbor, let your eyes be on the field. Ruth is called upon for greater sight, appreciation, prophetic understanding of what the field represents. And Boaz says to her, Boaz who is a representation of Christ in the story, says to her, let your eyes be on the field. Everyone say eyes. Now at the bottom there I got the meaning of Ruth's name. I got the eyes speak of vision. Ruth does not glean in another field because she has accurately discerned and appraised the field of the house of Boaz to be the right one that you must consistently glean. The name Ruth means beauty. Everyone say beauty. Something worth seeing. Isn't that a lovely name, eh? Ruth would have been my next daughter's name. You see, I'm ruthless now. <laughs> Without Ruth. I'm ruthless. But Ruth means beauty. Something worth seeing. It's amazing when somebody is something worth seeing. But the root meaning of Ruth is this. Listen carefully. The root is appearance or vision. And on the next page, I like this. The act of seeing or sight. Ruth, while it means beauty, something worth seeing, but Ruth is the act of seeing. So if you have a Ruth person, Ruth has got sight. But Boaz says to her, let your eyes be always on this field, I think. Let me just say it. The principle is, how she feeds off determines her sight. I'm going to say it again. How she feeds off determines her sight. Thamo says, you hear before you see. Hearing is before prophetic sight. The kind of diet you feed off will enhance your spiritual sightedness. Right? She holds on. She recognizes exactly what Naomi represents, for example. She doesn't see Mara. Bitter. Naomi called herself Mara. She sees, no, I got sight. I see beyond the natural deficiency that you represent in, the, in, in, in reality. You have the potential to impart grace to me. I see beyond the Jacob. I want to hear the, the Israel. Right? So a sight improves. And I want to encourage you. I want to say it again. For me, for example, moving away from corners of the field to the center of the field would involve this. Away from erratic attendance, number one. Secondly, away from erratic obedience. Obedience must be consistent. Everyone say consistent obedience. That's the moving away from the corners now to coming into the center. You know why? Listen carefully. This house has got what in it? Got law and word. But we are not activating law and word Strongly enough, there are nations that desire to stream up. There are nations, Macedonian calls, right now saying, come over and teach, come over and help. And I'm seeing something in the spirit that in the next year or two, that call is going to deepen and widen. But the house has got to be prepared. 
Not just for me to go, for you as sons, even to go into nations and to declare the word of the Lord. But your sight, your readiness is going to be because you consistently feed off the field. Away from the corners and into the center. Let me just finish this off quickly. Now, Ruth obeys the instruction, not so? Consistently, she, she always obeyed. Um, look at Ruth 2 verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you might eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat by the reapers. And he served her roasted grain and she ate and she was satisfied and she had some left over. She continued to obey. Verse 15, she arose to glean. Verse 17, so she gleaned until evening. I like Ruth. This girl is a hard worker. Eh? She was sitting there from the morning. And the Bible says she did not stop the activity of gleaning even until evening. This girl was desperate for truth. She was gleaning barley or grain. But grain is the depiction of the word of the Lord. You know, if this was some modern Christians, they would have gleaned up until midday and said, it's too hot, enough is enough, let me go back home. This girl was, the Bible says they continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine. Everyone say steadfast. And I really want to encourage you, if by now your appetite for the word has not grown, if by now you're not word fixated, I would declare a state of emergency in your life. Hmm? Dr. Segi said this at the school. He says in, the, in the, the, the ward where newborn babes are born, if a newborn babe doesn't cry out for milk, doctors declare it a medical emergency. It's unnatural for the baby not to crave milk. It's an unnatural thing. But he says medical doctors declare that a medical emergency, yet in the kingdom of God, we have sons of God that don't desire them, even the milk of the word. And we don't declare that unnatural. We don't think it's strange. That's a, mindset, that's a state of global emergency when sons of God don't love the word of God. Right? Ask your neighbor, how is your gleaning? How is your gleaning? Are you feeding? Are you hungry enough? Are you desperate enough? How do you use your time? Right? How do you use your time? In Kenya, I had, um, in the four days, I had a lot of morning time. Like from early in the morning to about 12, all to myself. And guess what? I applied my mind to finishing off the school notes in that time. What normally takes us two weeks back home here, took me four days in the mornings. Why? There was no distraction. I could just get up and just do it straight away. Why? There's a passion within me to internalize all the doctrine that was released at the school into my system and also to get the notes ready for consumption by, by others. Okay? I want to encourage you. Love the Word of God. Glean. Uh, come to every meeting. Um, don't, don't absent yourself for any reason that is not valid. Sometimes there are valid reasons for which we, we understand. But there's a new import that I want to attach to the house. It's a governmental house. Sons must stand erect and stand ready 
to receive what I think is a huge mandate now that God is placing upon us to impact whole regions. Are you ready for this? How is the strength of your cleaning? Clean from morning until evening. Okay, let's just finish this. Now, look carefully in Ruth 2.23 on page 10. It says, She stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean, I like this, until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. That's a powerful, powerful statement right there. Hey? Everyone say barley and wheat. Barley was harvested in the first month. Wheat was harvested in the third month. This girl, we just learned now, uses one whole day to, to glean from morning till evening. And yet the scripture now tells us she, this activity lasts for between two and a half to three months. She gleans right up until the end of the wheat harvest. Remember the seventh month was? Tabernacles, which is oil and wine. In Israel's economy, it's first month, third month, seventh month. Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. Wheat, barley, uh, sorry, barley, wheat, oil and wine. Say that again. There were three feasts in Israel. All occurred in three separate months. First month, third month, seventh month. Feasts were Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. The products were barley, wheat, and oil and wine. They all have prophetic significance. Passover, the blood, you were saved. You came into the kingdom. The feast of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, full with the gifts. Not so? Tabernacles is a place of maturity and fullness. Ruth, the Bible says, she gleans from what seems like the start of the barley harvest right up until the end of the wheat harvest. It seems as though this gleaning activity covers the span of at least three months. Hey? If you work the sums out, I think when she ultimately marries Boaz, she's in tabernacles. But this girl has got sight. Say sight. That is why I'm, I'm telling you, how you feed is how you see. She fed and she saw something. What this girl did, she imbibed completely Passover. She imbibed completely Pentecost. She did it repetitively, feeding off that field and no other field. And she came into consummation. She went from a, an orphan to a son. She went from a widow to being married again. She went from a pauper to a millionaire. She went from begging in the field to owning the field. Every, is that not redemption? Is that not restoration? And I'm saying to us in this house, tell your neighbor, we have got to be something worth seeing. This house has got to be Ruth. This house has got to be something worth seeing. Something worth beholding. Our worth to be beheld by others is going to be because we have the act of seeing. We can see. Therefore, others will count us worthy to be seen. You're not worthy to be seen unless you can see. So, please, brethren, all of us, see the prophetic significance of this field. 
I'm not trying to um, elevate this field above other fields. All I'm saying is if you are here, glean. Get away from the centers. Come into the, get away from the corner. Come into the center. Engage the word. Obey. Come into the fullness of all that the house represents. Eh? Because this Ruth begets Obed, who begets Jesse, who begets David. And David becomes a king in his jurisdiction. Sons from this culture are going to rule spheres in society. See where we are going. So if I say to you, please come to the study, it's not because I want to see you there. I have my eye on the ultimate end. The ultimate end is that whole sectors are going to come to us and say, do you have a son that you could send like Timothy? They could come and say, and be the embodiment of the ways of your God and teach us your, and teach us your ways. Now, listen carefully. So there was the steadfastness that Ruth had within her, consistently gleaning. There's so many lessons in the book of Ruth, I won't have time to go through all of them now. I'm trying to restrict myself to this, to our focus here. Right? But there are many lessons in the book of Ruth. You must study it. On, on, on your next page, and we close with this. Everyone say repetition. You see, Ruth consistently gleaned in the one field, not in multiple fields. It's important for us, for you to be repetitively exposed to the grain that emits from your father's field. Now, on page 11, we got the Ruth, uh, sorry, uh, Deuteronomy 4 verse 10. I want to encourage you, priority in, at, at gatherings, in meetings now, take on a brand new emphasis. Right? A brand new emphasis. Right? When we come together for Bible study or come together on a Sunday morning. Everyone say gather. Now, the act of gathering activates the speaking of the Lord. Deuteronomy 4 verse 10 says, Assemble the people that they might hear. In other words, if there's no assembly, there'll be no hearing. Genesis 49 verse 2, we have this. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. The point is, there'll be no speaking unless there is a, there is a gathering. Nehemiah 8 verse 1, I like this. All the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked for Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Notice the people gathered as one. And then the book of the law was open. The state of gathering activated the release of the word. No gathering, no release of, no release of word. I got Luke 24, 32 reference there. The two men were walked as one heart, with one heart on the Emmaus road. Right, their state of being together activated the release of God's word to them. And then they go to the eleven, the Bible says, who are still gathered at Jerusalem. The state of the other eleven not walking with them, right? Judas had betrayed, so it's only eleven, not twelve. The eleven disciples were gathered and they came to report all that transpired. Again, we see the principle, the, the state of the gathering is preparatory 
to receive the word of the Lord. No gathering, no release of the word. Now, please hear me. I believe up until this point in our journey, we've had release of the word of the Lord by virtue of my preparation in the word. We haven't had release of the word of the Lord by virtue of the state of the gathering. Now, hear this in the spirit. There is the quality of gathering that activates prophetic word. In other words, if you're correctly gathered and constituted, it releases word from the heavens. Right? That's why the Bible says, do not neglect the what? The gathering of yourselves together as the man of some is. And the word neglect in the Hebrew is, doesn't just mean not to be present. It means to withhold one's contribution with the intent of letting the gathering suffer. So to neglect means to withhold so as to impoverish those who do gather. You impoverish the gathering by withholding your contribution because the state of being assembled, everyone say assemble. I can show you many more scriptures, right? I got a whole thick document called the gathering. We may release at some point. Every, state, every time when the people of God come together, there's something in God's mind that activates him to speak. The, the, the state of gathering activates the Lord to speak. And so I want to I appeal to all of us. It's no longer, for me, it's, if, if we call gatherings, and we say, come because we are, like Jacob summoned his sons, and they gathered, and he said, I will tell you things that will happen to you in the last days. Genesis 49, verse 1 and 2. There are certain things we will not know by virtue of the gathering not being properly constituted. Okay? And I believe the word of the Lord is saying to this house, from henceforth onwards, I desire to speak. Listen carefully. This is a prophetic word. God is saying, I desire to speak to you based on your constitution now. Not only based on the preparation of your father. I will speak to you if you're properly constituted. I will speak to you if you're properly all gathered. Just your act of gathering is going to release word. Hmm? And so we need to come together. And to glean. Everyone say glean. Glean. Can you hear the urgency of the Lord? Hey? In the past it was just about people please come to the meeting. No, please come. Now it's not about please come. Now it's about rulership. Now it's about the nations. Now it's about the word of the Lord going to the, every sector of society. Okay? Now, listen carefully. Second Peter 1 verse 12. Tell your neighbor five minutes more. <laughs> five minutes. You believe me. <laughs> huh? Blessed are thou that believe, even though you haven't seen. Be, you, be it unto you according to your faith. 2 Peter 1 verse 12 says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. He has a powerful principle. Everyone say repetition. Repetition for establishment. Peter says, I will not be negligent as an apostle. He says, I will keep reminding you of certain things, even though you know them. Right? Even though you are aware of them, he says, I will keep reminding you why. He says, that you might be established. Everyone say established. Say strong. Okay? It's my intent that... I'm so blessed to see so many young people here on a Friday evening. Guess what? And some of you young people haven't missed one session yet. Guess what's happening? You're becoming established in your thinking. And I want to encourage the house. 
Some of you haven't seen it all on a Friday evening. Friday evening is now becoming our main service, so to speak. Right? I want to encourage you. Avoid distractions. Avoid excuses. See the urgency of the gathering. See the urgency of the, the house meeting. Because the word of the Lord is going to go forth from this place and condition whole lots of other people. Now, I got as a, the last second to last bullet there. I want to encourage this house to expose yourself repetitively to the words that we release in this house. Modern technology makes it so easy. There are CDs, there are MP3s. Maybe soon we'll have video recordings by faith. Hallelujah. Okay. There's documents that we, we release. Um, there's so many avenues for you to keep hearing, to rehearse and to, 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 to focus so that what you heard is understood and it's, it's entrenched. Okay? And I want to encourage you from this time forth, uh, Brinton will make available, uh, we'll do it month by month. So all the teachings for the month, the end of every month, you'll get all the teachings on one, one CD. Right? All of you must invest in an MP3 player if you don't already have one. I have a computer or something. You can hear these uh, uh, car tape radio, etc. And hear these, these words over and over again. I listen to Thamo Santon messages every Monday. As soon as they're up, I'm on the site. Why? I glean off no other field. I'm reaping day and night. I want the voice of my father to resound in the landscape of my of my spirit. I want to move from Passover, Pentecost. I want to come to fullness. And whatever I hear, I want to owe. I want to obey. What's my ultimate intent? I want to rule in the midst of my enemies. I want to be configured into the, to maturity and into the image of Christ that I might rule in the midst of my enemies. I want to make it almost mandatory. I want to call upon especially husbands in the house. Ensure that you, your wife listens to, to teachings over and over again. It's amazing. Sometimes only on the second, third time you hear a thing, the penny drops. Eh? There, there are times when I hear Thamo the fourth, fifth time. Oh, and then it, I realize exactly. Right? It's not that you didn't see it initially, but you see it darkly. And then you see it more, see it more clearly. You are what you eat. Tell your neighbor you are what you eat. Right? And it's true in the natural, it's also true in the spiritual. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So sheep become reflective of the kind of pasture they, they feed off of. And I want to encourage the house. I want, I want to encourage us all. I say it again prophetically. Nobody has happened to come to this field. I say prophetically to you, let your eyes be on this field. I say prophetically to you, don't go to another field. You can have other influences, but they should be a primary, predominant influence. Okay? Most of my listening is conditioned around the JKA. Thalmo is my primary voice. People like Dr. Siggy, uh, like Sean Blichnot, like uh, Franz, and others within our sphere that feed into my, that feed into my spirit. I am what I am because of the diet I receive. Amen. And I want to encourage you to do the same. What are we building? Everyone say the Lord's house. Lord's house. Come on, say the Lord's house. the Lord's house. We are building the Lord's house. And I want to encourage us all. Let's commit. 
Let's make this house stronger than it's ever have before. Let's impact whole nations and let the will of the Lord triumph for everyone. Amen.